Ladies and gents, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. It's Asset Engineers. We've got Yuha today. Yuha is uh, down at a startup called Upvest. They're based in Berlin. So a little bit of a round of applause for our first little startup outside of London and Amsterdam. So thank you for that. Yuha, give us a bit of insight into you. Obviously, we're going to dissect uh, Upvest and uh, the embedded finance model. But I'm really keen to hear a little bit more about you and I guess Upvest's mission. All right. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I know we've been in contact for, for a number of years already, uh, way back in my London times. But yeah, Absolutely. so I, I've recently came came to Berlin and, and working at Upvest right now. And my background is really like computer science. I'm from Finland originally, but I've been building software things professionally for 21 years now and, and, and I'm still enjoying it. So one of these lucky people who who made, made a hobby and turned it into a career and, and enjoy every day of it. So uh, I consider myself lucky in that sense. Upvest. We're a small fintech based in in Berlin, but really like a pan-European audience. Uh, we're building the next generation financial infrastructure, basically. So I don't know how much you follow blockchain, but basically we have a, a product that uh, sort of founded in the blockchain space, but we're also sort of bridging the gap between the now and the fu- future, basically. So so we're building a second pillar to our, our investment platform for tra- more traditional securities trading stuff. So okay. our our mission is really to enable like uh, other builders in the European scene to build better financial products and especially around investments. Okay. This has been a theme for us recently with COVID. This has been a theme for us recent. Well, no, this hasn't been a theme for us recently um, with a bit of a bull run. Okay. In um, the crypto space. And actually you and I don't think we've chatted too much since then. Has this positively affected the business or can you not say uh, about what's gone on recently well i mean uh, ultimately whatever is driving interest into these new technologies is, is good in my books so, so basically more and more people are interested in cryptos now that there's been a, a bull run and bitcoin is at all-time highs and ethereum really which is the, the more interesting one the world computer that you can build these things on is gaining traction as well uh, alongside with it so ultimately it's a good thing for for us obviously we don't deal directly with cryptocurrencies currently but basically we use the technologies underneath to enable these sort of next generation investment products so, so basically tokenizing assets and and those tokens then live on the blockchain and then that they're liquid and, and get all the benefits of blockchain so 24 7 uh, 365 days a year availability and censorship free yeah. uh, so so basically there can't be a, a robin hood uh, who stops taking orders because nobody controls it it's decentralized among the, the global computer called ethereum yeah okay in your opinion or Upvest's opinion, what, what do you feel is um, a better financial word? Just referring to, uh, I think, some of your terms. And I guess, how can we align that to the mission? So understanding a little bit more about Upvest's mission, which is that, can we understand that a bit more as an audience? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, these kind of technologies is where all this financial infrastructure is going to go at some point, uh, be it uh, whatever current blockchain or some future blockchain. But this sort of decentralized technology, so that you're not dependent on on middlemen, and, and basically 
moving the abstraction level higher. So you build on things, and this is basically like uh, internet is now. It's your connectivity underneath. You don't really pay attention to it, but underneath there, then of all this infrastructure will be this decentralized ledger technology where where things can get settled faster and, and more cost efficiently than in current systems and, and without anybody being able to censure what, what happens there. So, I mean, obviously that's that's still sort of in the early days of it. Of it. it it's a bit like uh, World Wide Web in the, in the uh, late 90s, that it's really the early days, but we can't even see where it's going to be in 20 years, but uh, the future is right there. To me, it's really, like I said, we are we are building two sides of the same sort of uh, things. We have, uh, we're, we're providing APIs for, for you to build products that use the current infrastructure, so buying ETFs and, and, and invested stocks and things like that, but then also provide this, uh, this uh, future model already where you, we are the custodian of your tokenized assets and, and you can safely build on that. And I think it's going to be go somewhere in the middle, like Germany is leading the way in regulation. Uh, so, so this crypto custody, for example, is now uh, you have to have a banking license from the Buffin. So we are one of the first companies to have that crypto custody license to, to be able to do this legally, have be that custodian. And I think it's going to go EU-wide, the, the legislation will follow, but I think it's ultimately a good thing so that people know and they can trust players because to be honest, blockchain has been a wild west for a long time because it came from the ground up technologists and, and, and hackers first. And then there's been so many different kinds of scam projects and, and projects where, where not really proper kind of uh, due diligence has been done. So now with uh, the industry maturing and getting some regulation, I think ultimately going to benefit the things. Uh, obviously, the decentralized nature and, and will move out to the fringes, uh, these all kinds of uh, shady businesses, but, but be able to have the big wide audience trust these systems and be a, willing to put money into that yeah. and, and trust that the, their money is safe. That's really ultimately a good, good thing. Okay. Where do you think some of your, your hard technical challenges come from? As CTO, that might necessarily derail from uh, learning a little bit more about the mission. I, I'm just keen to understand uh, there's, there's regulation, there could be elements of uh, localization to come. It's still a maturing space. What, where do some of those technical challenges come? Ultimately, underneath uh, the technology is global. Like blockchain, it's it's uh, instantly a global reach, and 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 you just plug into it locally, and then mm -hmm. it propagates through the network, which is decentralized. So so there's no in limitations on the technology side on on what you can do with blockchain for example obviously for the more traditional side we have to do like integrations to local vendors and packing systems in every country and all that stuff but that's our business so we we want to hide that complexity so you only integrate one api from upfest up and you get coverage across a lot yeah. of different exchanges and things like that so that's on the on the sort of normally retail investment api side yeah like like i said technology isn't really the problem here it's usually these regulations and the, the different landscape every country has their own own sort of works on how you do things and, and eu is, is good because you have these you can passport these licenses across eu but uh, for example now with the uk you guys decided that you don't want to be a part of that common area anymore so for the uk it'll present different challenges then that, okay, we have to go and get an FCA license to be able to operate there instead of a profit license. Technically, uh, these are super interesting problems, but there's no magic to it. It's just about figuring out what's the best way to 
to make this thing happen. That's to me as an engineer, really the interesting bit. Yeah. What I think is quite interesting is you talk a little bit about hiding that complexity away from customers and doing everything that sits behind that. I, I find that fascinating. I can understand not necessarily that's where it becomes it becomes difficult, but it's a smart team or a smart engineer that can mask that. Um, so good for you guys. So help us break down, I guess, your securities API and your digital API. And, and let's just understand those a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our original product is that uh, digital asset uh, custody. Uh, but now, as we are extending our product and bridging the gap, so to say, uh, we're talking about Upvest investment platform, basically. And, and yep. we have two products on the platform, which is a digital asset custody product. So basically, we, we are the custodian for those uh, assets that, uh, that you, you or your project have. But in there, we actually work with partner. So we have a partner called MyGobo, for example. And they're yeah. the company who comes to you and helps you implement your tokenization project. That, okay, I want to tokenize this real estate project and sell it to my investors as tokens. My Gobo works with you directly, and then we work together to provide that backing custody platform for that. So that uh, your assets are safe and, and your customers have access to them and all that stuff. But I mean, in the future, we, we might provide similar services, but that's not in our interest right now. It's, it's, okay. uh, we have great partners to, to help us do that. But what we are putting a lot of resources into it now is this retail investment API, which is the second pillar in the platform. And yep. the retail investment API is basically really providing these uh, easy to use, uh, integrate once APIs where you can then build your own financial products to your end users. So allowing you to build savings plans or roundups or cashbacks and then uh, feed yep. those into like index uh, funds uh, for, for people to save up for a rainy day. And also part of the retail investment API in the future could be that we offer pure cryptos as well. So they're just a different kind of asset class then. So you can buy your Bitcoin or Ethereum, or then you can buy ETFs or, or Apple stock. All the same, just a unified API treat as all assets uh, sort of similarly so that you don't need to do a specific integration for each one of them, but just uh, have access to them via easy to use unified API. So two pillars on the platform and, and who knows what will be there in the future. Okay. Are you guys and girls talking about what could be the future or uh, the, the changing landscape in the financial world, in the digital asset world? Are you having these conversations and um, going back to your point, how do we continue to mask that complexity away from customers that use this? So do you continually think about that? Yes, definitely. And that's really, really a continuous process of, of looking at the market and, and thinking about what would be the best for our clients, for example. So we don't build things just for the fun of it. So we look at our clients and what do they want to do? If you'd look at these typical potential clients would be neobanks and neo brokers like neobanks, you know, Monzo's and, and Transervices and Revolut's and 26 is they have uh, millions and millions of these more on the on the younger end millennial uh, customers and 
mm-hmm. and they, they they have some money but they they don't have the time to like learn about investing and all that stuff but they know that they want to start preparing for the future so providing all the building blocks i like to have this lego block analogy that that mm-hmm. with these apis you basically take these different lego blocks and build your own products by integrating different kinds of capabilities uh, so so if you need cross currency transfers you integrate the transferwise api if you need investment products you integrate the upfest api and then you build on top of that you know best who are your clients and what they need so so basically enabling these these next generation of builders and even the current generation on, on on innovating and building new kinds of financial products and having all the building blocks available to them in the in the platform and, and exposing new apis there can be even a case that okay somebody has an idea that we, we would need this and then we evaluate and, and, and see that it's a good idea to also offer to some other people and then we will build it in the in the platform like custom portfolios for example if you're a neo bank that wants to offer a custom port like a green or sustainable fund for your millennial yeah. audience that's interested in value-based investing you should be able to build your portfolio on top of the building blocks we provide smart uh, honestly it is um i think for someone that is um interested in myself uh, the crypto space it's constantly evolving there's so many sources of information and i think almost like an all-in-one package that can be supplied to you is sometimes i think what's necessary where you can go to one place not necessarily that you're a source of information i'm saying that that there's a collective what's on offer and what's beneficial for you as opposed to, you know, you can go to 10, 15 different exchanges that have their own opinions on what might be best for a specific audience. So I think being able to target that and being able to show people, you know, what what you can do or the differences along the way is quite nice. Yeah, that's really the, the, uh, like you mentioned in the the beginning this embedded finance model is is that there are all these different aspects in in in, in finance that uh, you might want to use in your own products is it's really like embedding these capabilities into your own products like we don't build the end, end user facing products at all yeah. we're a b2b to c so we provide yeah. apis you build on top of them and provide value to your customers we provide value to you so that you can move faster and and innovate like we don't know what what your end customers want or or yeah. or even uh we could, in theory, build our own own customer-facing product, but that would be just one product. Whereas when we are building a platform, we enable dozens and dozens of these products, and that's really what we want to do. Good. Yeah, yeah, smart. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, it's it's been rife for you. Uh, you're well-invested. It's clear that you and the business want to grow. Uh, tell me a little bit about... I guess, uh, not necessarily some of the challenges that engineers will face, but you're looking to expand the team. So uh, tell some of the share, sorry, share with us um, to some of the tech audience about what they can come in and do, what they can come in and build. Give us more of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's actually the really interesting bit, which is why I managed to already lure some really experienced people in the industry to, to join us but we are we are we're really growing rapidly so i joined last june and we were about 15 people now we're 40 people and will be probably 60 70 in a few months time so nice. and en- we need engineers uh, really to build all of this stuff 
but uh, what's super interesting from an engineer's point of view, I'm I'm a I'm a developer at heart. Like that's why I I left TransferWise is to I wanted to still I'm a, a much more a builder than than just along for the ride. So I wanted to still build this from from scratch and build something yeah. meaningful. Here we really do a lot of discovery still and think about what the product needs to be and and we have a lot of like super senior domain expert people from the fintech industry and the investment industry already there but all of those guys that we've hired as well they have a certain mindset that okay that's the way it's done how can we do it better now like like think rethinking all of these processes that okay is that really necessary and if we can just do this it's like automate everything that you can as much as possible so and and make it uh, less error prone we really do a lot of uh, design really from coming from discovery to requirements and then really whiteboarding around a mirror virtual whiteboard in these situations uh, about how does the flow go like whenever you get an api call to this endpoint and uh, make an order of this uh, for quantity of that with price this starting to really map out and design it's a greenfield project this new new product really yeah. mapping out what are all the components we need how does it need to work obviously there will be like engineering principles and, and architectural style that's coming from top like myself uh, when we've designed how we want to do these things yeah. but ultimately the teams are really empowered and they get to be a part of really defining what the product is is in under the hood so so there are some basic things we uh, build on its event-driven system like any modern cloud-native stuff will be. So so uh, uh, try to decouple as much as possible between different domains. So when something happens in, a, in, a, in an order domain, for example, then we just send out events and then other domains that are interested in yeah. those events, then just listen for those and like, uh, like tax reporting, for example. There's no need to have a direct link between those. They just okay. listen to relevant events and then generate tax reports. Uh, similarly, like audit trail logs, they just listen to all the events that need to be in the audit trail and they they record them. So really decoupled system uh, built on event-driven mechanism. So Kafka is the backbone for all of that uh, battle-tested, robust, global-scale uh, message broker uh, technology nice. and su super cool technology on top of that with Kafka streaming and all that stuff, which allows really cool things. We need a few really good Kafka experts uh, but then other than that, it's your pretty standard uh, microservices stuff we run in the cloud from day one. So containerized microservices with Go, super minimal uh, footprint, distroless containers, uh, small attack surface. We use Google's Kubernetes engine. Then, like I mentioned, Kafka, then we use uh, basically event-driven is the first choice, but sometimes you have the need for synchronous stuff. So then we try yeah. to use gRPC between services. So only place where we expose HTTP, for example, is only at the edge. Like the parts that serve the API are the only places okay. where we use HTTP. All the service-to-service -service sync stuff, gRPC, async stuff, Kafka. Then we try to use open standards wherever it's possible. So so all the API specifications are open API. And then if we do async current stuff, we use async API specifications, obviously protobuf and these kind of things. Uh, and, and even the authentication stuff is standard OAuth 2 stuff, then just wrinkles a bit of dust on top with HTTP signature so that we, we use public key cryptography and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's really just building a really, like I said, pan-European but global scale really uh, distributed system with modern technologies, uh, nice. being that, that language for us. Do you think engineers listening to this, uh, if they find what you're doing compelling, do they need to come from cloud-native environments or have worked with distributed systems before? Do you have 
musts or are you open to profiles and what sort of backgrounds would you look at? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, you need to just you need to know the the basics of how how distributed systems work. But ultimately, Go is a simple language. Doesn't okay. mean a necessarily easy language. Like there was a big hacker news story this week. It's a simple language, but it's super proficient. So some of my best engineers came from a Java company, picked yeah. up Go, and and now are like loving it. So it doesn't really matter if you know Go yet or not, but. Uh, as long as you know the principles of how we design distributed systems and know about that. And obviously it's beneficial if you've been exposed to these financial concepts. So it just makes it faster for you to onboard. But even that's sort of a not mandatory strictly. So I think we're looking to hire a lot of permanent people in Germany just uh, because it's easier for, for our company to hire permanents in Germany. But then to be honest, uh, the audience is pan-European like like we want to be. So plus minus four hours from Berlin is sort of the, the audience. We have a good partner in iTech Arts and, and we have a team of developers in, in Belarus from them. So uh, it's, it's not a problem really. Good. Okay. If you are listening, guys and girls based in uh, Berlin or if there's opportunities to, to work remote, reach out to Yuha on um, some of the links below and He's got everything attached about how you can get in touch, ping him a message or drop in on Upvest. Before we love you and leave you, is there anything that you're dying to tell us about Upvest, what you're building that we haven't touched on or that can share more about that embedded finance model? I think you've been quite succinct and been able to cut straight to it and tell us about what you're building, but I want to make sure that we haven't left anything. So is there any key messages that you want to leave us with? No, uh, one of the things I didn't mention yet is that we also really want to build a great uh, sort of engineering culture and place to work. It's not just like, like we want people to have a proper work-life balance so that I know that in some some high-growth startups, uh, you get work to death and, and, and you really like burn out in a year, but uh, that's not really a sustainable way to build a company. So we really value that and, and, and want to have people working at their optimal level and, and be able to contribute, but also Really, this is a joint effort. Like everybody who's joining now, we're, we're uh, at an early stage, will contribute to the culture that we build together. And also, we want to make sure that people who join stay for the long term. So we are really driving to trying to drive across Germany and Europe also this Silicon Valley mentality that that if you give us four plus years, uh, we we have an options program for everybody that joins. So so we do well, you do well as well. Like uh, uh, it's the same mentality that we had at Transformation. Everybody enjoys the success. What do you think drives a good engineering culture? I certainly use that phrase quite a lot when I'm talking on these podcasts and it it does get banded around on LinkedIn. Other platforms, I'm not saying that in this conversation whatsoever, but what, what do you think constitutes a good engineering culture? How do you build it? How do you maintain it? That would be useful to explore. That's the difficult bit is how you how do you build it? I mean, obviously it grows naturally with the people you hire and, and uh, it has to come from the top, like the support. Like you can't build a culture unless everybody's on board with it. And, and that's really what I want to drive here is, is that people contribute at their optimal level when they feel safe in the environment. They feel that they can always voice their opinion. They get heard so that... Uh, uh, it's not always like 
every every decision comes from top down and it no 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 i have to do this because somebody says so no it's really like an open discussion we design these things together we discuss topics uh, on their merits uh, not on a personal level like uh, mm-hmm. you should always feel empowered to contribute and, and then uh, feel appreciated so so it's really about one of the reasons why people move around so much in our industry is that uh, they don't feel that they're being treated fairly, for example. So that's why we want to have a sort of an open and honest culture transparency uh, across the board. So I use this term uh, from a book that I, uh, I've read and, and used for many number of years already called radical candor. It mean, okay. means also that you need to be able to talk about even difficult topics honestly and openly and then uh, realize that, okay, yes, I made, uh, even myself, I made a mistake here. I have to own up to it uh, and, and then, then uh, let's learn from it and move forward. That's really the key in this uh, fast-paced organization is that you always take stock and learn and do better the next time. Uh, so, so building this kind of culture where you don't need to be always worrying about what do other people think and, and be able to contribute what what you have to contribute to the organization. That to me is key. It's it's not just the leadership that uh, builds it. It's the it's all the people who join and and, and help us d- define what do we want to be known for. I want to, like like Martin, the founder, I want to also build a really great place to work in Berlin and Germany and Europe. And like when people think about great places to work, they should think about Upfest in the future when we are big and bold. Yeah, that, listening to some of your thoughts, it's a tough one to try and get right. It's a tough one to add to the mix. We're, we're all human. We carry emotions, different levels of self-confidence when you're ready to talk about something, when you're not ready to talk about something. So... And when you add more people to the mix, uh, it it can create, I can imagine it can create, at the best of times, some uh, animosity, you know, between teams. If you have uh, different ideas on maybe how to design something or how to build something. So not necessarily putting you on the spot, but I can imagine it's hard to not control it. Control, it's probably not the right word, but how to create a fair environment for everyone continuously because we all have feelings and emotions right yeah yeah and that's a super important point is that especially when you're growing a lot you have to really take special care in what kind of people you bring in you have to bring in people that you see really contributing not just to the role but the organization as as we need to grow together but going to back back to bit of the technology bit we we use this sort of cell-based architecture approach so so each domain is sort of encapsulated within and and, and with within that the owning team is quite free to design how they do their internals but as long as we agree on that okay in this sort of domain driven design sort of bounded context uh, this is what i expose to you guys this is my contract that this is a service i provide to you your teams and your services but inside here i'm free to do whatever is uh, whatever we think as a team is best to deliver this service to the rest of the company and the platform. I see. Okay, nice. Like we've discussed, if you're listening, if if you want an environment where seemingly everyone really does care about creating a, a decent culture, a decent engineering culture, and you're coming from a, a strongly typed background or you're living in the go world now um, and you want to do some some interesting things for... Uh, the financial world, come and talk to Yuha. Uh, if you're based in Berlin, great. If you're not based in Berlin, it's no worries at all. Some of the links below, um, so check these guys and girls out. And Yuha, massive thanks. 
massive thanks. We'll uh, we'll let you get back to cracking finance. All right. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. I'll see you soon. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.